Well, Jesus put it like this. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And <clears throat> let me tell just very, very briefly, because I'm new to you, you're new to me, uh, the mo majority of you, you really have no idea. I've, you've trusted your pastor uh, to invite me here. So that was your first mistake. I'm just telling it right up front. <clears throat> from here, uh, I do make a, a small disclaimer. Uh, from here on out, it's his fault. So that's, uh, that's where we're just going to go with this. And uh, <clears throat> I, um, I became a Christian when I was about five or six years of age. I, I'm, I understand when people say you'll know the day and the hour. At that age, you probably don't. But I knew what happened. Uh, I grew up, my grandfather was a Nazarene preacher. My grandmother was a, grand, a Nazarene preacher. They both attended God's Bible School, Union Bible College. My grandfather started a, a Nazarene church. Back in those days, most of the uh, faculty and staff of Union, well, see, I still call it UBS because that's what it was in my day. And uh, <clears throat> my grandfather was not preaching, but it was, um, I don't know what day it was, but I was so small I was lying on the, the second pew from the front uh, to the speaker's left, and he was preaching about the second coming. Now, never underestimate what a child might grasp a hold of. And <clears throat> he didn't even give the invitation to the altar, at least I didn't wait for it. And I remember that was my first awareness of God. Though I had been taken, I'd been, uh, taken to church since I was five days old, at least that's what I'm told. I don't remember it, sorry. And, uh, <clears throat> but I remember weeping. And the beautiful part about a child that age coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't take very long to get saved because I had not had the opportunity to kill anybody. I didn't have to repent over that. Very few things I could steal. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to commit adultery. So you, you see what I'm saying? Uh, for a child, it doesn't take long to get saved because there's very... Very, very little to confess, but when, they, when you feel the guilt, when you feel the, the conviction, the Holy Spirit can deal with people as soon as we can understand the difference between right and wrong. And he did, he did that with me. It's a good thing because I was raised in a very, very violent, chaotic home. I mean, it was extremely violent. And God walked me through that whole thing. Uh, by the time I had graduated from high school, and it's only because it was my lifeline, I know that I read the Word of God through 100 times. And I kind of look back on that now, and I go, that, that is just plain strange that a teenager, a kid would read the Bible through 100 times. I mean, from, you know, from generations to revolutions, or was that Genesis to Revelations, one of those two. And uh, <clears throat> I, I still have the Bible that has the 100 marks in it of each time that I'd read it through. And in those days, I didn't think anything of it, but it was my lifeline. It was the only thing that held me steady. I'll tell you what, I'd like to put out a little challenge here tonight before I tell any more to the teenagers, and I think Pastor Morford will be okay with this because I've done this with the New York Pilgrims. Um, if the teenagers who are here, and I'll let the adults get in, I'll, okay, I'll let you get in on it too, all right. But if you'll invite more teenagers, I'll make sure, and on Friday night, I'll tell my story. And <clears throat> Pastor Morford will vouch for me uh, that it's a story that teens want to hear. But what I've learned is, 
when the teens enjoy it, the, the, the adults get something out of it also. So would that, can we put out that kind of a challenge? And we'd love to bankrupt the church when it buys pizza and all this kind of stuff. So I'm just, I'm just doing this, okay? And uh, I know you did something a little bigger last year, and, and I get it. I understand all that, that uh, not everybody, you can't always do the same things every time. I understand. I've been a pastor for 32 years. Uh, I've been a principal at Penview Bible Institute. I co-pastored. Anybody ever heard of a guy by the name of Jim Plank? He's not very well known. Uh, I was, it was kind of weird because when I became the principal of Penview, uh, I started attending the church because I wanted to go to church someplace. I just thought that'd be a good part of the job description of being you know, principal. And uh, Jim and Marie came to me. And, and my wife, Angela, and they said, now, Brother Tucker, would you consider being our youth pastor? And I looked at him and I went, are you kidding? I said, I'm older than you. <laughs> the assistant pastor was young. I was the oldest preacher at Beavertown God's Missionary, and I was the youth pastor. I'm telling you right now, people, that's messed up. That is messed up. There's just no other way to describe it. But anyhow, I did that, and it was very fulfilling. So I did that in conjunction with being the principal there at Penview and on the college administration. I've been all over the place. I've been, let's see, I'm trying to remember the countries. Let's see, so far it's been England, Africa, Peru, South America, Mexico, a bunch of places in Canada, Taiwan, let's see, Japan, Taiwan, Bahamas, and, and I've been to a third world country. Has anybody ever heard of West Virginia? That's a whole sermon series, and we're not going to go there. And I, uh, I have three children. Uh, my oldest daughter is married a pastor. His name is Philip Mills. He graduated from GBS. They're down here in Oklahoma City. And uh, now, at the risk of offending somebody, not, not that I'm trying to, but I just like to do this because I, I give my son-in-law a very, very difficult time. I want you to know that. I feel it's my calling to give my son-in-law a difficult time. And uh, up in Michigan, it looks like a hand. Uh, do you all understand that? I live over here in the thumb. That's what they call it, the thumb of Michigan. You understand that. That's what you're from. My daughter used to live over on this side of Michigan, and she moved down to Oklahoma. Okay. I, I, okay. My son-in-law does not appreciate that, but we'll just move that one right along. And he, he goes, you're not going to dare tell that Oklahoma joke, are you? And I said, well, maybe. It, did, it just depends. So, but anyhow, he and I, we have a lot of fun together. And uh, <clears throat> so I've got three children. I've got six grandchildren. My son, my son is a Michigan State Trooper, and currently he's undercover. And he works on the forensics. He's on the major crimes unit. And they've just, the FBI just approached him. And they, they've offered him a job, but he declined, which I'm very proud of him for declining because it, it would it'd mess up the family time. But now the, the Michigan State Police have asked him to go on to their SWAT team, their Michigan State Police SWAT team. And he's a very, very, he's a very good shot. I mean, just, he just is. Um, he, right now, he knows 21 ways to kill you. I wouldn't recommend you cross him, but he is a Christian, so that's the good side of it. And then I, my youngest daughter was married about two years ago. But eight and a half years ago, my youngest daughter was struck by lightning in the state of Michigan, and she lived. And that's, that's a horrendous journey that we've been through. 186 doctor's appointments the very first year with my doctor, or with my daughter, but 186 doctor's appointments. 
And uh, so we, our life changed. I mean, I kind of dropped off the face of the earth in a sense of doing a lot of different type of ministry, especially like this. I couldn't leave and do these kind of things, but it's a joy. It's a privilege to be with you tonight. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm still in Michigan time, which is 835, but I'm thinking it's 735 here. Am I correct? Okay, here's what I've learned in 32 years of pastoring, even during a revival. I'm going to make the assumption you are working folk. And you've got to get up tomorrow and go to work. Okay, and so probably what we ought to do tonight, unless God directs otherwise, and believe me, I'm very open. Okay, either way we go with this. Let's see what we can do and, and wrap this up about 8 o'clock. Would that, would that work for everybody? So that's what? That's about 25, 24 minutes or so. And we'll, we'll do an introduction tonight. Now, I understand what I'm, a, I'm about to do up here. It's probably a different format maybe than what you've used here in the church before. But you can blame that one on Penview. They taught me how to do things like this. They use it extensively, and I've become very comfortable with it. The other liberty I took, and I did get permission, because I've got about 20 brand new people in my church who do not really have good, solid church backgrounds. I personally, I love the King James Version. I do. It's, that's the one I read through a hundred times. And I've read it since, I'm not really sure how many times. But I did change over to what was called the New King James Version. So it's about the only difference I could find was no thee or thou. That's, that's about the difference. And I'd talk to my church, they were good with it. I hope you're good with it. If you're not, I know how to change it back, okay? And I, I really mean that. I, see, what I don't want to have happen is the method cancel the message. Is that all right? And if it would really bother you, I know how to change all that up there. I, I have editing rights on all this stuff that I've put up here, all right? But the one thing we don't want to edit, we do not want to edit or water down the truth of God's word. Because we've come here tonight, you have come here tonight, with the sole purpose, you want the Word of God to minister to you. I want the Word of God to minister to me tonight. I, I still get excited about God's Word. That's why I can sing a song tonight like ancient words, changing me, changing you. I'm interested that if the Word of God needs to change me, I welcome that. I'm open to that. And uh, the, my mother-in-law is really hoping that the Word of God will change some things in me, but that is another story also. Let's do something to, together, and that is, would you stand together? I want to read a text. It will be displayed up here, but we can also turn in God's Word also this evening, if you so choose, to look in your Bibles. Uh, we find it right here. It's for your convenience. Now, my church, because I live in a very urban area, uh, most of my, most of, at least my new people bring their Bibles on their smartphones. And I really had to get used to that. I wasn't used to folks, you know, look, being on their phone while I'm up trying to preach. And uh, <clears throat> at first it bothered me so bad, I would kind of, be honest, I'd kind of get after it by like, you folks on your, I said, you're on your phones while I'm preaching? I said, really? And, and some of them came to me and they were a little bit hurt. And they said, no, pastor, we got our Bibles on our on her cell phone. I said, I don't think so. I don't think so. They said, why? I said, I hear sound effects on there. It sounds to me like, is there an Angry Birds version? Hmm? Landscapes version of the Bible. But anyhow, it, uh, so anyhow, we, if you have a smartphone or if you have it in a printed text, that's fine. 
What we want to read is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. And here are the words. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I did not add verse number six here, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Father, I pray tonight that you'll help us here together. Would you cause our hearts and our minds to come together for this, this time period so that the word of God will minister to us. And Lord, when we walk out of those doors tonight, there will be encouragement, there will be hope. And yet, Lord, you reserve the right to convict us if so needed, according to the needs of our hearts. I pray your blessings upon us. Please, Lord, hide me behind your cross tonight. Let it not be what Nathaniel Tucker has said, but rather let it be what the Spirit of God ministers to to every heart this evening, I ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I move around, and I hope that won't bother you too much. Um, back in 19, 1916, there was a young farmer... <clears throat> And he, was, he had recently enlisted in World War II. Something happened, and it was, it was basically, here's, here's what began to have happen. Uh, this was over in the country of England. Uh, when he got to the, I guess you would basically call it a processing uh, camp, where they're, they're doing boot camp, and these, these new recruits are going to ship out to the front, uh, there were all kinds of people who began to get the flu. As a matter of fact, it is recorded in history in World War II, more people died from the flu than they did from battle. And I didn't know that until just, just a few months ago. And uh, they found out there was one common denominator with all these people who caught the flu. And every one of these people first experienced stress. Now, I'm not here tonight to play doctor, but uh, I'm just simply here to tell you what they found out. Before these people actually caught the flu, they were under so much stress of going to the battlefront, and who wouldn't be? If, any, if there are any veterans here tonight who have been in any kind of combat, you are going to understand it better than I certainly would. I've never been in combat. I've not been in the military. But uh, what the stress did is it lowered their immune systems. It did all kinds of things and made them extremely susceptible to be able to get this. Eventually, this thing would actually be called, uh, uh, it was a pandemic. It was called the Spanish flu. And that's just a little history. In the 1930s, there was a young sci uh, scientist by the names of Hans Seeley. And what he did was he was clumsy. He would constantly be working with the lab rats and the mice, and he was, he was, he was scared of them, what, what it really was. He was scared of holding the mice. He'd pick them up, and then they'd wiggle, and they would, they would drop, and then they, he would spend so much time chasing the mice that they began to notice that something was happening in all the mice that this young scientist would ha handle. And he had a friend that was working over in engineering, and he said, you know what, I've noticed that the hormone level in these mice are elevated more than all the other mice. 
And his friend came up with a term. He says, yeah. He says, in engineering, we call that stress. And in the 1930s is where they coined that term that we now use when we're under pressure and we hear people say something like this, boy, do I feel stressed. You say, well, what in the world would that have to do with with Christian living, I'll tell you what, I have found out that just because I'm a Christian, I have found out just because Jesus saved me, I have found out because the Spirit of God sanctified me, I have found out I am not immune to stress. Are you? I mean, if you ever drove through Detroit, that'll do it for you. Have any of you folks, (laughs) well, let me put it this way. Have you ever driven through St. Louis, Missouri? Tulsa, Oklahoma, I'm telling you right now. Well, let's just get this right down to where it's at. There's a, uh, when we pulled into Oklahoma City last night, bless their hearts, whoever come up with these GPSs, I mean, it had brought us over a thousand miles to where we need to go until we got to one road. It took us down a little side road. Next thing I know, I'm in a residential section. I've never been to Oklahoma City in my life. And I began to feel my stress level rising. And my wife looked over at me and she goes, why'd you turn like that? I said, because that GPS said do it. And she said, well, don't do what the GPS says. I said, honey, for the past 1,200 miles, it's got us here. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I said, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit stressed. We, we found our way. I began to double back a little bit. You, you kind of laugh. You don't know this about me. I can drive a bus. I've been all over the world. I've been in, I've been in many, many places in the world but I get lost in a Walmart parking lot. People, I'm stressed trying to remember where I parked my car. Anybody here? Any, I, you, you know what? If you all were a bunch of charismatics, now I'd say, can I get a witness? You know, but you're probably not. You're probably not. Man, I'll tell you. See, I, I've got about 20 20 folk, brand new folk in my church that have all come from charismatic churches because they don't like what's happening. And they see the the sign out there says, Polina Avenue Holiness Church, which is my church. And they wonder what it is. And uh, it gets interesting around our church. I'm just telling you, they have a different way. Some of them have some different phrases, but we're, we're, we're blending it in. We're not charismatic. We're not going that way. But all I'm simply saying is it's getting a little bit interesting. And, uh, Anyhow, I get stressed when I come out of Walmart and I go, okay, where'd I park my car? You would not ever know this, but there have been a few occasions where my wife stayed in the car and then she moved the car. (laughs) And she'd watch as she has ducked down as far as she can and can barely see. And I go, I'm, I'm three or four aisles over going, in the world, and I didn't. Br- I don't have one of those cars that has the, you know, the the car finder on it. You know what I'm saying? Where you push the button. Uh, I borrowed a car to come here. This one does, but I can't locate my car. And it's like, I'm, I kid you not. When I go into a Walmart, I have to look at two different directions. I look in the direction I'll become. I think, okay, when I come out of here, my car is in line with Starbucks, and. And it's in line with the W on the wall. Okay, W and Starbucks, I'm somewhere in between. And usually about 15 minutes later, I find it. So I'm really good. I don't know how I made it here. But man, I'm not immune to stress. And some people 
seemed to handle it a little bit better. There, I could tell you another story about a whole group of college students that back in the 60s, they were put into separate rooms to solve complex math problems. But they, they were hooked up to diodes and wires and as they were solving the problems in a random way, all of a sudden they get this electric shock. Even if they had the right answer. And you know what they began doing? After enough of that, the students who were brilliant started messing up. Why? It was all stress related. And I don't know you folks, but I'll be honest with you. I was praying as I was coming here and I thought, Lord, what, what message? Do I? I don't know these people. I don't know a thing about you. Your pastor didn't tell me uh, all the things that, all, all of the, the wonderful traits about you or the difficulties about, he didn't do that. And I, I wouldn't listen to it if he did. And, uh, but he didn't. And I, and I appreciate that. But I thought, Lord, what, what will minister to people's hearts tonight? I, I've pastored 32 years. There's a lot of messages that I could give. And, the, and it just kept coming to me, stress. Now, I don't feel stressful with you. And I, I want to make that very clear tonight. I don't feel stressful with you. I feel very relaxed. You've made me feel welcome. You smiled as you came in. And I've learned that's a very good sign because that doesn't always happen wherever I go. But let's look at a few other things. You know, there's some big things that bring stress into people's life. Forgiveness, big decisions, relational conflicts. But, but, they've tried to deal with it and they've worked through it as best as they know how. And all of a sudden, negative, destructive thoughts ambush you when you're least expecting it. I would guess even in a group this size, there's probably a few folk that have had some injustices done to you. What was done to you, what was said to you, it wasn't fair, it wasn't nice, it wasn't pleasant, it was painful. And you, because you know God's word, God's word says that if you're going to be forgiven, you have to forgive. And you, you struggle through that and say, all right, Lord, I, I'm going to choose to forgive them. And uh, I personally, I'm not one of these people that says forgive and forget. I believe in the forgive part. I personally have not learned how to forget. I seem to have pretty good recall on my memory. Pretty good but I've got to do something when those painful things come back. And all of a sudden it just, it's, I'm going along doing the normal things of life, not even thinking about what injustice has been done to me because it has been. And all of a sudden just right there it ambushes me. It's like, where in the world did that thought come from? That old painful memory. I mean, what are you supposed to do with them when they won't go away? You've prayed, you've asked God to heal the heartache, but here they come again. I, I probably, I'm going to just give a little introduction of this tonight, but uh, something that God took me through personally. I had five catastrophic questions that came into my life. And I've actually put them up for you there. Uh, this summer, I've, I'm already starting to write a book called As God Intends. That's the name of the book. And uh, <clears throat> it's going to address five things. Each question comes with a very specific event. Let me tell you what those five events were. One, I was dismissed from a ministry that I really loved. 
and I wasn't told why. And I've never had closure on it. And the only thing I'd heard up until literally that particular statement to me, we're not going to bring you back. I had only heard good. That was confusing. Can you imagine? You go to work, and the only thing that people keep telling you is, well, we're so glad how God's helping you. Or, wow, this is really good how this is turning out. And that's the only thing. And all of a sudden, you come in, and they say, uh, we don't need you any longer. What did I do? And the exact words that were given to me, we're sorry, but that's confidential. That was the words that were given to me. I'm going to tell you, that about blew me away. That brought into my heart what is called a soul wound. I said, it's confident. I said, did I really do something? We're sorry, that's confidential. We can't tell you. I said, I'm fired, but you won't tell me what I did? No, we can't do that. And they never have. And out of that experience, the enemy paid great attention to me. Because I'm a pastor and I've done a lot of evangelistic work. And he paid, he focused in on me. And I'll never forget when he brought the first question. And the first question is what you see up here. I don't normally preach the devil's outline, but I've got a reason for why I'm doing this, by the way. <clears throat> and here's the question he asked me. Are God's people good when they hurt you? And I did like, I think like what most Christians would want to do. I didn't want to listen to that. But he has a way <coughs> of bringing it back when you're least expecting it. Amen? It wasn't too long until I was in a situation where the people really, really liked my ministry, but they couldn't stand my wife. And if you knew my wife, I have the utmost confidence in her. Now, she is one of God's cheerleaders. I'll, ju I'll just say that right up front. She is enthusiastic. She will get up. Man, I'll tell you what. Uh, a few years ago, we had an evangelist come to our church, and my wife stood up to testify. When my wife stands up to testify, she needs an exhorter's license. When she, I mean, when she was done, people were praising the Lord, shouting, and she must have testified for 12, 15 minutes. And I'll never forget what the evangelist said. He said, folks, wasn't that a wonderful sermon? But she's just so full of enthusiasm, so full of life, so loving. And I'll tell you, I couldn't figure out why there was a group of people that didn't like my wife. And the enemy came to me and says, is a church good when it abuses you or neglects you? My wife had not done a thing. And so I, made my, I gave my leave. <clears throat> it would be during that time that my youngest daughter was struck by lightning. I got there five minutes after it happened. People came running to me, said, Brother Tucker, you need to come quick. Your daughter's been struck by lightning. 
How do you process that kind of information in your mind? What? I've been at car wrecks. I've held people's hands as they were dying while I was there with them in the hospital. What does a person look like when they've been struck by lightning? I couldn't even, I couldn't even wrap my mind around this. And I, I walked over there. My daughter was alive, at least for now, as far as I knew. And she looked at me and she's lying there on the ground face up. Matter of fact, it was her and three other kids and they were blown 25 feet in every direction. The lightning traveled through the ground, came up through her right leg, exited out of her heart, now the back of her head. There were over 50 people who saw the whole thing. And she looked at me and she said, Dad, her body is full of goosebumps. I could still smell the burning flesh. Her clothes were burned. She still has those clothes full of holes. And she's looking at me wide-eyed and she goes, Dad, I've been to eternity and back. And she really had been. She, she, she was dying. And that's, that's another story. But after 186 doctor's appointments in the first year and for the first five years, my daughter was in the hospital every single month, five to eight days. Five to eight days. Because the pain cycle would go so out of control, there was nothing we could do for it. And I would watch my daughter lying on the floor in a fetal position, screaming, begging either for God to kill her or God to heal her. And she would always look at me and say, Daddy, do something. What do you do? do? We'd call the ambulance. People, I got to the point I couldn't even pray because I was so emotionally beat down. When you ask God to heal and he doesn't heal in his wisdom... And finally, you're like, why ask? You may or may not, if you've not suffered or had somebody suffer, you will not understand why I just said that. I'll just have to leave it. And it was in that time that the enemy came to me and said, is the word of God really good like you think it is? And then I had a situation where literally some, one of my best friends turned on me, backslid, did everything in his power to destroy me and the ministry, and it crushed my heart. And right there, the enemy came to me and said, is God good? Do you deserve all this? I mean, look at everything else you've been through. And I'm not even telling you my childhood story. Is God good? And then you know what the rascal did to me? He came along and said, hmm, are you even good for even asking these questions? Oh, wait a minute, you're the one that started this. And I've got about three or four minutes here, but I want to tell you something. The story turns out really good. I'll probably go into deeper 
detail about this. But I remember going to the very little church I'm currently pastoring and I would sit there on the front pew and I'd usually play that guitar right there. I was so broken down. Oh, the other thing that had happened during that, that number four or that number five rather, I contracted a virus that enlarged my liver and it ruptured my spleen. Had my spleen not clotted, I would have died in three minutes. And I was on a school bus when it happened. I had a temperature of 105. I mean, it hit me. I staggered off the bus. My boss saw me. I drive a bus just once in a while. Then I was driving full time. And I was holding my side. I was in so much pain. He said, what in the world? I said, I have no idea. My wife rushed me to the hospital. The Center for Disease Control, they began asking questions. They said, wow, we haven't seen this in a really long time. Normally people get this when they're kids. But when you get it when you're an adult, you just usually die. And they told my wife, they said, expect him to die. But I didn't. My liver was enlarged and nobody, and I mean nobody, prepared me for what I was about to go through. I'd heard about depression. And I always thought, well, you know, if they'd take care of it at the altar. My depression was not an issue of sin. I really used to think that way. Well, you know, if they'd take care of it at the altar, guess what? This was in God's perfect plan so that I would learn compassion and gentleness and learn to listen instead of always having an answer. And for the next year, I dreamed every night how I died. I dreamed every night a different way to die. I didn't know there were so many ways to die. Matter of fact, it was so traumatic, I'd wake up every day with the taste of blood in my mouth. That is true trauma. That is a deep clinical case of trauma. And I looked at my wife and I said, I'm losing my mind. And it was in that time that the enemy came to me with number five and says, <laughs> Are you even good for even asking these questions? Even thinking like that? You know, you're, that is sinful to even question if God's good or his word is good. And I come back to this little, sitting with that guitar. Usually it was on, it would be, if this was at my church, it would be this pew right here and I'd sit in the middle and I would pray and I'd say, oh God. I don't know what you want to change. But you reserve the right to change anything in me that you want to. I just don't know what it is. Lord, I don't know what's going on. I'm losing my mind, Lord. Lord knew I wasn't losing my mind. My body was full of toxins. I'd been through all kinds of things. And the Lord began to gently walk me. He literally walked me through the valley of the shadow of the death. And I want to tell you what. He is my shepherd 
who guides and leads and feeds and comforts. He is with us in our valley of the shadow of death. And he began to gently walk me up out of that pit, taking me by the hand, whether people understood or not. Nobody called me for a meeting. Nobody wanted me to preach. You want to talk about feeling dark and lonely and isolated and cut off. I felt those things. But instead of becoming bitter and instead of becoming just in case like I'm a victim, I began to say, all right, old devil, you keep asking me these questions. I got the word of God that I've read through so many times and I remember bowing at that front pew. I'm crying and I'm saying, oh God, he keeps bringing up to me this whole issue about good. What is good? How do you define good, oh God? And I'll never forget on that front on that front pew, kneeling right there in the middle, the Lord just whispered to my heart, said, son, good is functioning as I intend. And all of a sudden, the scriptures begin to come to me. On the first day of creation, God saw that it was good, functioning as God intends. And on the second day, and on the third day, and on the fourth day, and the fifth and the sixth. And my mind went to Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good, functioning as God intends. It went, my mind went back to the book of Exodus. Joseph, when his brothers who came before him, who had really caused a lot of injustice and heartache in his life, he, he, they were standing before him. He says, you you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, functioning as God intends. I want to tell you something tonight. I'm a product that is functioning as God intends this evening, in spite of all these things. And those five questions up there aren't just theories. I've walked through that fire. I've walked through those floods. I understand stress. But I understand that we can keep a right heart with God, even under the deepest soul stress that we may experience. Does it do anything for anybody tonight? Because it, oh, it did something for me. I'm never going to get over what God has taught me through this. Amen. Can we just stand together tonight? There's a little song I think that would be good. Through it all, through it all, oh, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, oh, I've learned to depend upon his word. Father, it's a Wednesday, it's a Tuesday night rather. Folk have got to go to work tomorrow, we understand that. But Lord, if you are pleased, would you take something that's been said here tonight and as only God the Holy Spirit can only do, would you minister it to the heart that has need and accordingly? And Lord, would you somehow use that would you give me the words to speak and the wisdom to know how to speak them tomorrow? Father, I need your help. But Lord, 
I plan to function as you intend for this revival and to give your word as you intend. And dear Lord, to to just seek after you as you intend. Thank you, Father, that tonight that we're able to do this. Thank you that you didn't leave me in that pit. Thank you, Lord, that you rescued me. Thank you, dear Lord, that you picked me up as a a son of God. You, You loved me too much to leave me there. Now, Father, go with us here tonight, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.